Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So we are, are finally here at the, the Christmas season. I, I, I love this time of year, being able to, to spend time with family and friends, taking time to remember why it is that we celebrate Christmas in the first place. Uh, side note, I had a little chat with Eve during lunchtime, maybe two days ago, and I asked her, what, what did she think that the greatest gift ever given was? And I'm not going to lie, I was maybe kind of hoping that there was going to be like this, this pastor kid moment of like, you know, the, the clouds part and, uh, and she just had it. Um, you know what the gift, greatest gift according to Eve is? Chocolate. <laughs> so, uh, but I wonder, is it possible Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's been previous years. Maybe, maybe it's an ongoing process where over the years we've, we've started to get familiar with Christmas. Maybe, maybe it's one of those things where, where over the years we, we've talked about all of the, the different aspects of Christmas, all of the different things that, that go into making the season the season. I, I've shared before the expectation on pastors when it comes to this time. There's this expectation that exists, and Greg, I'm sure you can relate to this, that you know, somehow we're going to stumble across this new character that is in the, the Christmas story that's in the Bible. That it's like the innkeeper's lost cousin who all of a sudden is going to bring entirely new meaning to what it means to celebrate Christmas. He's not there, guys. Like th- that well has been has been drained. We we don't have any new characters to add to this story. I, and there's, I mean, we've, we're even going so far as bringing in like the little drummer boy. We're bringing made up characters in just so that we can can have something new to share. The expectation is that we we go through and, and kind of drum up this excitement so that there's something that that we can celebrate that's new and fresh, right? There's one thing that I do know. God always acts in surprising ways to save his people. And we're going to talk about Jesus coming to earth. That was a surprising thing. But we're not talking about that today. One of the ways that, that God acts in surprising ways to save his people is through miraculous births and beginnings. When everything is dark, when, when all hope is lost, a baby is born. And yeah, it, it seems like, well, Matt, it seems like you're talking about Bethlehem. It seems like you're talking about Jesus coming to earth. But if you look throughout the Bible, this isn't just an isolated event. If you start looking back at the Old Testament, you can see there's time after time where God uses a miraculous birth, a surprise beginning, something that wasn't expected, something that wasn't looked for to rescue his people. And if this is how God has always acted from the very beginning, then maybe even in this broken and messed up world that we find ourselves in today, God still has something surprising for us that doesn't involve me making up a new character. (laughs) 
So we're going to look at Judges 13 today for our, the beginning of our nativity. <laughs> and before I read Judges 13, I want to give some context. Up, at this, up until this point, the, the people of Israel have been rescued from slavery. They have been rescued and, and led out of Egypt. And, and we all know what, what that involved. That was them experiencing the plagues that, that came on the Egyptians. That was them experiencing the crossing of the Red Sea on dry land. That was them witnessing God leading them through a, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. That was them witnessing God providing for them for their food and for their water. Their clothing never wore out. They went through all of these different things where they saw time after time after time after time that God was faithful, just like we sang about this morning. But then we come to this promise that God, that God has given the people that he's leading them to the land of Canaan and he, he is faithful to his promise. He says, this is the promised land. This is a place that I've set apart for you. And out of this place, I'm blessing you, just like we prayed for our offering, so that you can be a blessing to the rest of the nations. And so according to God's promise, they settle in the land of Canaan. And here's maybe a little side note for us. When God fulfills his promise, that doesn't mean we just stop. When God fulfills what he, he promises to you, it doesn't mean, well, I'm good now. There's nothing else that I need to do. I, I can just kick my feet up and, and chill. I mean, it would be great if that was the case. Or maybe we just get like a week. But... Uh, I don't think that's typically how it happens. And it's definitely not what was supposed to happen here. The people of Israel were, were planted in the land of Canaan and, and they had work to do. So you're, you're to drive out the nations that are in, currently inhabiting this place. They, they are not to be messed with. But when it comes to the book of Judges, we hear the story of what happened after that first generation of leaders passed away, after that first group that had seen all of, all of God's faithfulness firsthand, after that first generation had died, there was the book of Judges. And what we know about the book of Judges is there's this cyclical process that happens. This process of, of the people of Israel starting to become a little too much like the people around them. And then after they become a little bit too much like the people around them, all of a sudden there's a judgment that comes on them because God's saying, no, I love you and, and I want you to be my children and because I love you, I need to discipline you. And so he disciplines them and, and in the midst of that discipline, they cry out to God and they say, God, forgive us. We've done wrong. And God in his grace and his mercy says, I, I see that you've, you have repented. I see that you're turning back and I, I'm sending someone to you to rescue you. I've sent you a judge. And this judge brings them back, rescues them from themselves, rescues them from their surrounding neighbors. And eventually they, they turn back to God. And, and we have a, the right relationship that exists between God and his people. And you know what? It happens again. And so often when we look at the book of Judges, you're like, man, those guys are a bunch of losers. What is going on here? Get your act together. Didn't you hear what he did with your parents? Didn't you hear what God, how God provided, how he moved in all of these different ways? And then we, we stop for a minute and you're like, oh yeah, I, I totally do that too. <laughs> and so the, throughout the book of Judges, we see this cyclical process happening through all of these different characters that, that we know in the Bible. We see Gideon, we see uh, Deborah, we see all of these different names that come up. 
And throughout this process, we see that there's this choice that's being made by the people, people of Israel to get comfortable instead of stepping out into what God has called them to do. They start to mingle with the surrounding nations. They start adopting the, the horrific customs of that land. And, and this wasn't like, a, oh, we're, we're just going to, you know, uh, pray to a statue, which obviously that's, that's wrong. That, that's not acceptable at all. They're starting to sacrifice their own children to these statues. They're starting to, to do all of these, these acts that are just completely abominable. And so as a result, God hands them over. And, and eventually, we get to Judges 13, and we get to a point where God hands the people of Israel over to the, the Philistines. And they don't, they, they get to a point where they stop crying out. They get to a point where, where they don't even need to cry out anymore. This is just normal. The, the persecution that they receive from the Philistines is just, it's just Tuesday. We've, we've just figured out how to deal with it. We don't need to cry out to God anymore. This, this is just what we deal with now. And so this, this pattern becomes so habitual for them that they just decide to live in it instead. Now again, I think we can maybe take something from that. Maybe there, there are times in our life where, where things just become so habitual in our life that, that we don't even think we need to come to God anymore. It's just, this is just who I am. This is just normal. But God doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate it a little bit. And he definitely doesn't tolerate it a lot. And that brings us to Judges 13. It's the birth of Samson. I'm going to read it to you. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then drink no wine or fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. And Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? And the angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all of the things that I told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. 
Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. And Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said. I like this guy. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all of these things or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. And he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. Okay, so there's three characters we're gonna look at here. We're gonna look at God as he saves an undeserving people. We're going to look at this, this couple that is being used in a, a pretty unlikely way. And we're going to look at a spirit-filled warrior. So God saves an undeserving people. So here at, at Judges 13, we're at the bottom of this spiral where the 40 years the people of Israel have been oppressed by the Philistines. And they're at the point where they don't, they don't even try to look up anymore. There, there's no reason to. And as a result of the Israelite people choosing not to come and seek repentance, what does that mean? What, why does that matter? Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because those people are God's people. God has chosen to associate his name to this people. And so even though they are choosing not to come and seek repentance, God doesn't leave them to their own devices. God doesn't say, well, you're on your own. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say you're on your own? God says, even though you've made this mistake, even though you are actively disobeying me, even though you are, are profaning my name, I have a plan. I have a plan that is going to rescue you because I love you and I want the best for you. And so the, the plan that, that God brings about is an unexpected baby. An unexpected child. God brings this gift this foreshadowing of another gift. God brings salvation that's beyond anything that we know to ask for. Do you think if the people of Israel were good to cry out to God and say, God, forgive us, we, and the, if they came up with their own solution, do you think it would have ever involved a barren couple? Would it have ever involved the, the birth of a baby that 
it really had no place whatsoever in this world. That's not how, how we work. That's not how we typically expect things to happen, but God operates in the unexpected. The God who judges is also the God who saves, and the God who saves does it miraculously. And so he uses this unlikely couple. Manoah and his wife are pretty much the most unlikely couple we can find in this particular story. If we look at verse 2, they're from the tribe of Dan. The, the tribe of Dan was basically the tribe that essentially showed up and when the fighting got too hard to clear out the, the promised land, their area that they had been given, they just kind of put their hands up and said, you know, we're just going to go over here instead. This is way too much work. This is, there is way too much involved here. We're just going to go here instead. And so they abdicated their responsibility that God had given them as a tribe Manoah is definitely not the warrior, right? He's, he's out tending a field. And then so we, we have what we could probably call obscurity. They, they don't seem to be super well-known, but to obscurity we can now add impossibility because they weren't able to have kids in the first place. They're barren, they're childless. Manoah's wife was sterile, the text says. How long was that something that they had to deal with? How long were they trying to have kids? And, and in that culture, not being able to have kids was kind of a big deal. Not having kids was, was shameful to them, but not only was it shameful, it was also a complete loss of security because your kids were what took care of you when you were too old. And not being able to have kids was a problem. Your retirement plan just didn't exist at that point. But what I can tell you is this isn't the last time that we're going to encounter a barren couple that's able to have a child in this series. It seems that God has a special place for people that are hurting. That God has a special place for people that are insecure, for people that are unlikely. Why does he have that place? Because it's through them that he can show that salvation comes through him. And it's entirely from him. It's the couple's barrenness. It's that, that heartache that God uses for his good. You know, we, we always have this kind of weird translation of God, God taking the, the things that are broken in our life and using them for good and somehow twisting it into God, God made me this way. God, God forced me into this brokenness. No, God, God didn't put that on them. That was just sin in a world that has sin. But God uses broken situations to accomplish his purposes. And so the angel of the Lord appears to this couple. Who is the angel of the Lord? Manoah's wife describes him as a man of God in, in verse 6, but there, there's something special about him. There's this situations that we see in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord comes and, and some scholars say this is, this is Jesus, his pre-incarnate Jesus coming to earth. And, and honestly, we don't know. We weren't there. And we're probably not going to know until we get to heaven. But what I do know is angels don't typically take worship for themselves. They don't. That's, that's not how they're made. And so when the, the angel of the Lord instructs them to sacrifice a goat, 
and he accepts that sacrifice and he ascends into heaven in the flames, that's pretty indicative that this is Jesus. I, I feel pretty confident that we can say that. And in verse 18, he didn't reveal his name because it's wonderful beyond understanding. And so the angel of the Lord has come to bring Manoah's wife a message. And I really love how Manoah's like, maybe I can ask him to come and give me a message too. And just to be like, no, this is specifically for your wife. When God shows up a second time, because God's patient. Don't you love that God's patient? He said, I already told you all of this. But sure, I'll, I'll come and we can have another chat. And so he comes in and he doesn't show up to Manoah, even though Manoah was the one who asked. He shows up to the wife again. <laughs> and she's like, hey, he's here. <laughs> there might be something in that. Yeah. Hey, this is Foursquare. Right? We can get on board with that. Uh, <laughs> and so the, the angel of the Lord appears a second time to this couple and what does Manoah say? Manoah's like, how am I supposed to raise this kid? You've, this is a lot of pressure. I wasn't even thinking we could have kids. And now you're saying we're going to have a kid that's going to like rescue the entire nation of Israel? Like, this is a big deal. Like, do we need to get him like extra Taekwondo lessons? Do we need to make sure he like practices the trumpet? Like, what does he need to be able to do? And do you know What? God never once gave them a step-by-step checklist of this is how you need to raise Samson. He never said, like, make sure on this day that you do this thing. He said, these are the steps that I want you to take and everything else is on you. He says, Samson is to be a Nazarite. And I don't want to go too far into what it means to be a Nazarite. You can read it in number six. But basically, the Nazarite vow is a way for people who were not priests to devote a period of their lives to God. It, that, that's the easiest way to think about it. It's, it's the people who weren't Levites, who weren't born into the priesthood, who were able to show up and say, God has called me to be consecrated. He has called me to be set apart, to, to do something specifically with my life. What does it mean to be consecrated? It means that you don't take the fine china and you don't put it in front of the dog. That, that's, that's what it means to be consecrated, is that there's something special that there's a specific purpose that you have been called for, that you have been set aside for. And what is the service that this boy, that Samson, is going to render to God? Verse 5, it says, He will begin the deliverance, literally the salvation of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Man, talk about a wait. Remember how long they have been waiting there? 40 years. This has been your reality for 40 years, but the child that you raise is going to begin the salvation of my people. Though the rest of your tribe has fled, this boy is going to be a warrior and he alone is going to fight for my people. And so there's this series of exchanges back and forth as we read between the angel of the Lord, Manoah and his wife, and you know Manoah tries to get more information, blah, blah, blah. We heard all that. And ultimately, he learns out that everything that he needs to know was already shared the first time. And so the 
offering is made to the angel of the Lord and Manoah recognizes that he's been talking to God this whole time and, and he is terrified because everything he knows is that he's not supposed to see God. But apparently that's, it's okay in this particular situation. And so the, Manoah's wife kind of explains, no, it's going to be fine. And what we see here is time after time, God using unlikely people. If we look at the book of Judges, it's, it's like a compilation of unlikely people. We see where the first judge that, that is called out is, is a left-handed judge. And apparently left-handed people are unlikely, according to the Bible. Uh, <laughs> sorry to anybody who's here. <laughs> no offense meant. Uh, he uses a, a woman prophetess. He, he uses a warrior who is terrified in Gideon. He uses an illegitimate son of a prostitute. He uses people that don't seem like they should be used. Church, do you feel like maybe you shouldn't be used? Is there something in your past that says, I am not qualified to do what you are calling me to do? And yet God looks at what is happening in your life and he says, it's because of that that I am calling you to this place. It's because of that weakness that exists in your life that I am calling you to be used by me because in that weakness, my strength will be seen. So if this passage is any indication God loves to use the unlikely. God loves to use the weak and the limited. He loves to put the shame, he loves to put to shame wisdom and strength. The wisdom and strength of this world because it is in that weakness that strength is shown, that his strength is shown. So, where are the areas that you feel lacking? Man, I don't know how to talk to people. I don't, I don't know how to, to communicate well. I, maybe you're limited by sickness. Maybe there's a physical issue that exists. Maybe there's a sin that exists in your past life that is continually haunting you, that's bringing up guilt. These are the things where you feel limitations. These areas of limitation that, that you feel exist in your life are the areas where God wants you to step out and serve are opportunities for God to demonstrate his power. If we stop for just a moment and think about the, the calling, the direction that was given to Manoah and his wife, it wasn't very glamorous. Don't drink wine and eat healthy. That, that was pretty much it. Like raise, raise a kid, don't drink wine and eat healthy. The, those were the directions. And yet in those directions, the product of that came the salvation of Israel. They didn't know. I mean, sure, they, they were told and, and I'm sure that they were thinking about it. But how many times have you been told something and you start wondering in the back of your head, is this really, is this really the way it's going to work? I used an example earlier this morning in Sunday school class that Charles Spurgeon saved a lot of people. He, he was used by God to, to bring salvation to thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, I don't know. Lots of people. But it was an untrained Methodist deacon that led Charles Spurgeon to Jesus. 
And from what I've read, it didn't sound like there was a whole lot of anything very exciting or notable about him. He struggled through the, the sermons that he went through. You might not be a Charles Spurgeon, but maybe you're the, the deacon that doesn't even really have a name in history. Maybe you're the disciple of, for that deacon. Maybe you're, you're somebody who has influence in that area. We don't know how God will use us, but we should not underestimate our opportunity to serve in bringing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. So our instruction is to be faithful. Manoah had all of these different questions. He, he wanted to know what he was supposed to do, and yet God had already revealed it to him. And so the instruction was, do what I asked you to do. And that's, that's the same for us today. If you think about what we don't see in this text is we, we don't get to see Manoah and his wife the next day. Can you imagine what it's like waking up after that type of interaction? What's it like when you wake up after the angel of the Lord has told you, hey, you're going to have a child. That child is going to be the salvation of my people, rescuing my people up from the hands of the Philistines. This is going to be kind of a big deal. Now go do your Tuesday. Life doesn't stop. You still have to tend your crops. You still have to do the laundry. You still have to cook dinner. And yet everything has changed. their work and their lives. Everything has changed because it has new meaning. Every meal matters. Like I have to actually pay attention to the things that I'm putting in my body because God has given me specific direction on how I'm supposed to, to do this. And as the, the baby comes about, all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, this, this is very real now. I'm sure for Manoah's wife, like this, this changes a lot. And finally, God saves through a spirit-filled warrior. And so just as God promised, we see in verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtel. So here in the territory of Dan, Samson is born. And again, remember, a lot of the Danites have completely fled the area. They have abdicated their responsibility, given up their land in favor of just not having to confront the Philistines. And yet, God's favor rests on Samson. We know, as we continue reading in the book of Judges, that Samson has some struggles. Samson has a lot of struggles. And yet, throughout that process, we also know that he has maintained the vow that he made. He's maintained his, his Nazarite vow. We don't get a whole lot of detail in terms of what it means when it, the scripture says, the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in this place. We, we don't necessarily know what that means with, with Samson at that young age. But what we do know is if we look at verse 5, the angel says he will begin the deliverance of the people of Israel. 
He never actually gets to accomplish it. He never finishes it. If you, you know the story of Samson, he, he kills a lot of Philistines, thousands of Philistines. He kills them with jawbones of donkeys. He, he kills them barehanded. He's, he's a, a guy who, who is strong. And even at his death, he, he single-handedly collapses the temple where the, the Philistines are, are worshiping, and, and that kills a bunch of Philistines. But that isn't what delivers the people of God. God preserves the identity of his people by using Samson to stir up conflict between the people of Israel and the Philistines. If Samson wasn't there, everything would have just continued on. The status quo would have been maintained. And yet God uses Samson to disrupt that status quo and say, no, there is something to be done here. And that something to be done doesn't get accomplished in Samson. It gets accomplished in David. When David shows and finally goes to war against the Philistines, we know David and Goliath, right? Goliath is a Philistine. And the, this conflict continues to, for years following until eventually there's uh, an end. In Samson, we see this picture of salvation. We have a choice. We, we get to either hang out in the status quo, hang out in the comfortable, hang out in the, the stuff we know, or we get to step out, step out into the unknown, into that difficult, into the hard, into the unlikely, and be used by God. If we circle all the way back to the beginning, the there's a perspective that we need to be reminded of when we come to this Christmas season. If it feels like we live in this broken, run-down world where, where Christmas is just kind of this veneer of paint that thinly covers everything for a season and as soon as the day is done, the paint gets stripped off and we, we turn the channel and we see everything that's happening in the world. We see everything that's going on and it was just a nice reprieve for a couple of weeks until we come back to everything else. But Christmas is that time where we're reminded of the truth that God has sent his people, people a true savior. God has, has sent the unexpected And in sending the unexpected, it's not just a, a two-week event. It is a life-changing, eternal event. Christmas is the reality that actually defines our world. The coming of Jesus is what defines hope for us moving forward. Yes, there is injustice. Yes, there is sin. Yes, there is sickness and even death. But God has conquered all of that through the person of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to abandon our posts and, and say, there, there's no hope. We have hope in Jesus. We don't have to despair. We don't have to just worry about trying to figure out how we make the Christmas season more relevant. It, it's already relevant It's relevant because of who God is, not because of what I say. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your perfect gift. This morning as we come to the communion table, God, we, we remember the perfect gift that is given in this time, but God, we remember the, the sacrifice that ultimately comes from that perfect gift. A sacrifice that, that was completely undeserved, that was completely, uh, completely enough. That was more than enough, God, that, that covered any sin that existed previous to, any sin that existed at that time, and, and any sin that would. God, you showed yourself to be more than enough. And so this morning as we come to the table in this time of communion, have we remember? We remember that you gave yourself. That a body was broken, that blood was shed and poured out for me. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 